Hi everyone, this is Sam C, the writer of Reasons, and you're listening to the He's the Voice podcast. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And the winner is... And Mr. John Farnham. John Farnham. John Farnham. John Farnham. Sir John Farnham for Mr. Jack. But I, most of all, would like to thank my manager and very close friend, Glenn Wheatley. He put his money where my mouth is, and I thank him very much for that. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you very much indeed. Farnham fans, you're listening to He's the Voice, the one and only podcast devoted to whispering Jack and the remarkable career achievements of Australian national treasure, John Farnham. My name is Adam Stolfo, and I am joined here again by my really good friend and colleague, Nigel Langis is here with us. How you doing, Nigel? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, thanks, mate. Good stuff. Now, mate, this is a special one. Uh, what can you say? Today, we're looking at track four, Reasons. This one is unique for both of us. Absolutely it is. Um, I certainly remember the first time we got together when I went to Melbourne and we were talking about this idea of a podcast and talked about the idea of just focusing on Whispering Jack and then also the idea of why don't we talk about the writers and I remember your view being sort of like, and how are we going to achieve that? And I said, (laughs) "Well, well, actually... I've already got an inroad there and it was to Sam because years prior I had actually connected with Sam because I had a question which was yep. about um, what his take was and on reasons based on the things that I had heard, the rumours which sort of really became a bit of folklore as to the fact that Sam didn't particularly like reasons and I asked him about that and had that conversation and he was our first person that we approached and he was sure. uh, the first person to actually respond with a yeah. Um, yeah, so he was a cataclyst. And the good thing was is that in our discussions, we quickly realised that reasons, for me, it's always been a special song on this album. And Definitely. for you too. Um, oh, yeah. So it, I don't know where to start, Nigel. Not only is reasons one of my favourite John Farnham tracks of all time, I would also put it in some of, one of my favourite songs of all time. This is a special song, and it's definitely one of the one of the gold standards, I would say, Nigel in John Farnham's song catalogue. Mm. Um, but one of the main reasons for that, Nigel, is because of the fact that it's it's almost like it hasn't been given its time in the sun. You know, I know for me, um, like I remember saying, the pressure down was the track that actually made me want to 
look at the album Whispering Jack. Take you know? note. Um, yeah. In doing that, for me personally, Reasons was the one track that stood out. It was so captivating to me. And we'll have a little bit of a story a little bit later as well, Nike. But uh, we also know for a fact that John loves it. <laughs> I mean, you have to, to sing it as much as he has as well. Yeah. You know? So mm. there we go. All right. So, hey, before we go on, there's a small amount of information to include here, uh, which was the stats. So in Australia, Reasons was released as the fourth single from Whispering Jack. Indeed. The B-side was, of course, um, One Step Away. Yeah. yeah. However, the thing that is a bit surprising is that Reasons came out as a single in September of 1987, so almost 12 months after the album was released. Crazy. And, and just to um, remind me as well, Nige, Touch of Paradise was March 1987? Uh, no, um, no. Touch of Paradise was actually February 87, so almost yeah. right. So between February and then September... An interesting decision to put a fourth single out so far after the album's release. It wasn't part of the original plan, as uh, John himself stated as well. Whispering Jack has been and continues to be huge. The last single, Touch of Paradise, on our charts for the last 12 weeks, mate. That's great. Are you planning another single from the album? No, I don't want to beat people to death with it any more than they have been. Um, I think four singles from the album would be too much. And I'm very lucky. Uh, the album has sold over 600,000 copies in, in Australia. And I guess, um, you know, people that, that are going to want the album have already got it. And another single would probably be superfluous. So it wasn't part of the plan. It was originally just going to be the three. Uh, You're the Voice, Pressure Down and A Touch of Paradise. And this song, like you said, Nige, over six months later. And only in Australia. Uh, that's right. It, only in Australia. There were no overseas releases of it. And in Australia, it actually only peaked at number 60. So mm. it never made its mark on the charts. Now, yep. interesting, the only data that we can find is that it was released in September of 1987. There is not a specific release date that ARIA can provide me. I actually talked to Sam about this, and mm -hmm. he himself doesn't have anything to indicate the actual date of release. And then also my um, conversations with David Kent as well, um, nobody was actually able to provide me with the actual date release. So the best we can do is September 87. Do you have any theories, Nigel, as to like why this is the case? Like because no, this I really, don't. is really mind-boggling to me. As we have discussed, Kent Music Charts kept all the stats and data related to the top 20. So Reasons was never part of that. And... Um, Aria actually only picked up with their collection of stats in 1988. So we're three months mm. outside of that. So it's yeah. just in that window where the data collection didn't extend to where Reasons found itself on the charts. So <laughs> That's really interesting. And um, I mm. don't understand why this fourth single, you know, the information is so limited compared to the first three. Yeah. And if you look at some of those special international releases of Whispering Jack as well, Nige, you've got like, you know, those three track samplers with the biggest songs from the album and it's, yeah. it's the yeah. other three. That's and right. Reasons is never part of the equation, no, the it's, conversation. It's not because you know? those, those sampler things were put out well before Reasons was issued as a single here in Australia. So yeah. very quickly before we go on, the number one singles that were around at the time that Reason hit number 60. Oh, I love this. Here we go. Of course, Locomotion by Kylie Minogue. And of course. La Bamba by Los Lobos. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. But it is a shame. 
when it all comes down to it, no, it, it is a real shame because if this song missed out on getting into the ears of a lot of people simply because of the fact that it was overlooked. and Yeah, you know, I, th- I think this is a classic example where this is an album track that deserved to be a single and it certainly deserved to be a hit, but it, it sort of, like you said at the very opening, it didn't get its time in the sun. Yeah. And um, But over the years, it's certainly become the fan favourite, particularly in that live space. And um, we have been spoiled, really, with its presence in almost every performance John's done from Whispering Jack through to current day. Yeah, we'll expand upon that when we talk about the live versions a bit later on. Uh, interesting. Um, I, I do like the artwork. On, oh, it's fantastic. The, yeah. It's yeah. a great image of him. It's from great... behind, right, with the big coat on. Yeah, that's the right. The big, long coat. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's, it's just the, the vibrant blue light. So, you know, oh, it's fantastic. Um, I love that that single cover. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, Nigel, the musician credits for uh, reasons. So, we've got Whispering Jack on vocals. We've got David Hirschfelder on keyboards and Fairlight. We've got Brett Garcet on guitars. Mm-hmm. We've got Nikki Nichols and Penny Dyer credited for backing vocals. And, of course, the Fairlight and drum programs, Jack, Ross and Dave. So, there you got David Hirschfelder being credited again. For Fairlight, so twice, Nige, I think, as usual. <laughs> I think that's going to be a consistent thing through this album. You know. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Now, just like you said off the bat of the podcast here today, Nige, uh, the writer of Reasons is a gentleman by the name of Sam C. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what can we say about the great man at this point, Nige? Yeah, hey, well, let's not say anything. How about we get into just listening to his discussion? And yep. um, a great place to pick up is uh, where we ask Sam what his thoughts are and what he remembers of John back in the Sadie, Raindrops and Days of One. Ah, well, uh, what do I remember? I, I do remember um, I met a bloke called Dennis Lachlan who was starting up a band with another guy called Clive Shakespeare and that was Sherbet. And... Um, I was the only one in Sherbet who read music, and I, I've never been a great sight reader, but I can read it. And um, the the other guys in the band didn't have a clue, and we were booked to do a show in Orange in New South Wales. And guess who the headliner was? He appeared with Daryl Samble, and we were not very good. We'd, we'd sort of started to become good, I suppose, by that point. But we weren't, you know, we weren't slick by any means. And he he was very gracious, you know. I mean, all those guys who were solo artists, um, mostly, and I won't mention those that weren't, but mostly they were pretty cool, you know. They realised that we were just young hacks and sort of trying to figure out what we were doing. Um, Oh, Rolf Harris wasn't very pleasant, but that's another... Oh, did I say that? (laughs) (laughs) He was a prick. As history will reveal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so that, I mean, that's the only time I saw him then. Um, Later on, um, Sherbet, I think we were on um, Happening 70, maybe, and um, he was on that. So you'd sort of meet people in passing, you know, and after a while, uh, you know, I, I wanted to try and be able to uh, reproduce that I feel fine thing. And I, so guitar has always been my main um, obsession. And, you know, Clive was the leader of Sherbet and he was the guitarist. 
And he said, yeah, I know you can play, but I'm the guitar player. So um, although you know, I left the band on really good terms, there was no resentment, and Clive and I remained really good friends for the rest of his life. But Flying Circus needed a guitar player. I, I have had this pattern of um, following really amateurish guitar players into bands and uh, the, the guy who I replaced in Flying Circus was a bloke called Red McKelvey who was a legendary guitar player, beautiful player and um, he's best known for his guitar playing on Girls on the Avenue by Richard Clapton, uh, wonderful player. So my first professional gig as a guitar player replaced Red, good on you. Um, so yeah, at that point we started doing, I'm not sure if it was a happening 70 or probably was. Um, so yeah, we started doing that and um, I'd see, you know, I saw John a couple of times on that. Yeah, right. Oh, cool. Long-winded, sorry if I'm wrong. No, 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 no. We're, we're all good. We're good. Hold yeah. up a stop sign or something. No, we, we, <laughs> we much prefer to hear the stories, right? For sure. Okay. Um, so you became John Farnham's music director in 1981 and a member of the the Farnham band 1.0, I think they're referred to as now. Right. And so can you discuss like your collaborations with John sort of like prior to Whispering Jack? Sure. Well, I, once again, I, I think I was actually in 1.5. I don't know who's, who's assigning <laughs> numbers, but the original, the original <laughs> 1.0, um, would have been the band that played on Uncovered. Correct. Which was yep. largely Graham Goble's songs. In fact, I think it was all yeah. Graham Goble's songs. Yeah, yeah. Sam, Sam McNally, Nicky Nichols, like, yeah. It, yeah, um, yep. David Jones. Hmm. Uh, I can't Tommy Emmanuel? Yeah, another yeah. guitar player. Replaced. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. I, I did have a habit of doing it. It was great. And that was quite frightening, of course, because Tommy, as Red was, is a, just a monster guitar player. And um, so I, I had to sort of check my ego at the door and just go, just bluff your way through it, do the best you can. And, and I guess John and I really clicked when I, when I first joined I think he and his manager at the time, Richard East, who was his personal manager, were looking for more of a uh, rootsy rock and roll approach. Um, the songs that they were doing were the Graham Gable ones, but they also did things like Hold the Line by Toto. Yeah. I can't, honestly can't remember what the covers were except for that. Um, and... Uh, the single that I came in on, well, that replaced uh, Tommy on, was uh, Too Much Too Soon. sending them stuff that was kind of what would you call it it's not m-o-r it's a-o-r like kind of polite stuff and they wanted a bit more rock edge because i think 
um, when you've got an instrument like John has, he's, I mean, he's sort of ex an extraordinary um, biological mutation in my view, you know, like that voice. Um, I don't think he'd mind me saying when I was in the band, I never saw him warm up before he went on stage. It was just like having a wee, you know, and sort of, <laughs> and John Farnham, bang, he's on and singing like a bird. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he was free, freaky. Can you just repeat the question? Because I've kind of drifted off a bit. You were discussing it, like your collaborations with John prior oh, yeah. to Whispering Jack and what sticks in mind. Okay. Well, um, so the band I was in had Nicky Nichols, Mary Bradshaw, um, Sam McNally on keyboards, David Jones on drums, and Mike Clark on bass. And we'd started to develop something. We were a long way off developing what I thought John's direction should be. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of pushing my barrow as a writer, but also trying to find songs that I thought might uh, give him some scope rather than just singing a pop song. Um, and we were starting to get there. And then tragically, we did a gig and Mike Clark uh, had a prang in St Kilda and died. Um, that was horrendous. So the band kind of went into recess. We were going to take three or four months off, and which I might add I really couldn't afford to do. But um, just sort of John and I, I used to go out to his garage studio in, in Surrey Hills most days, and we would spend hours writing, demoing stuff and mucking around. And John was sort of looking at what I was trying to do and uh, I think he was just starting to develop that muscle as part of his repertoire, you know. Um, yep. He certainly didn't have a clue about song structure, and which is surprising when you think that he'd been singing all those songs for years from standards to Sadie and whatever. But, but anyway, so they were probably... The happiest times we had together, we had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it was it was really really interesting, you know, working with a great talent like that. So, um, un, we were sort of looking for a replacement bass player uh, to go out and play some of these songs on the road because I said, you know, you can write all these songs, but until you give them a bit of oxygen, we won't know if they're any good or not. And in the meantime. Uh, a plot had been hatched for some years previous by Glenn Wheatley to um, insinuate John into LRB. So it was kind of back on your head, Sam, you know, I was out of the loop. And that's, you know, that's rock and roll. Um, I was in the unfortunate position of having to fire somebody once from a band and he was very gracious. He said, well, Sam, that's rock and roll. Sometimes you lose and sometimes you lose. And <laughs> so I, I was bereft. I went to the couch for a while and then um, I, I resumed working with my longtime partner, Glenn Mason, again. So, yeah, it was, it was um, an interesting time. As it worked out, the, um, the LIB experiment didn't work in America. They... Um, for whatever reason, they they love their Glenn Shark LRB, and I I don't think the songs, frankly, were 
as strong, maybe. Yeah, yeah we've, we've discussed that uh, many times between us. Um, interestingly, playing to win comes into it it's yeah. somewhere down yep. the yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. There was 84. So that LRB did that, didn't they? Yeah, they mm -hmm. did. It wasn't from that first batch of stuff in the garage. It was from the second one. And he'd pretty much written that song in a subsequent date with um, me and David Hirschfelder. And but the song, as he presented it to David and me, was except for David's wizardry, um, it was pretty much done. If you want me, come and get me. You don't have a chance if you don't move now. I'm not waiting any longer. You know that I'm playing to win this time. When you make your move, I won't hesitate. If you take too long. You can be too late This time I'm playing to win Oh yeah This time I'm playing to win This time I'm playing to win oh. And so I think that was a, a very strong song, you know, for a rock anthem. Mm. But, um, and it sort of became, I think, in a way it was kind of a sub-theme for the Whispering Jack theme because... Um, after LRB, John was a bit bereft as to what to do. You know, he sort of um, had a crack at cracking the American market. Um, you know, when I was in the band, we used to play the rougher gigs around Australia and uh, he was Johnny to those people and they, they didn't take him seriously in any way, which I we all, you'd look at him and go, what singers have you heard who can touch this guy lately? But, uh, you know, there were a few places where a couple of the burly guys on the road crew would have to escort him to the car and make sure he got away safely. So then after LRB, he put a band which I call, what did I say, 1.5, no, 1.75. So it was a touring band <laughs> with Derek Polici on drums, yes. uh, Bruno De Stanislaw on bass. Nicky was there, this young, creepy guitar player called Brett Garsed. <laughs> <laughs> what a hack. <laughs> Where'd they find um, that guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he came out of the woodwork. And, he, you know, he was, he was scary. Um, and David was playing keyboards. I've forgotten somebody, maybe. Um, they, they put a band together, which was me, Sam C., Nicky Nichols, Derek Polici, David Hirschfelder, and Bruno De Stanislaw, and uh, we went out and did some gigs, and oh, it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. It was just the greatest experience I've ever had in my life. Awesome. And at that point, we were maybe doing, with co-writes and songs that I'd contributed, we were probably doing half a dozen of my songs, and... I was very excited about that, but um, for, how are you saying it tactfully, for musical reasons, it didn't quite gel, and um, I kind of was let off the bus before the sessions for Whispering Jack happened. And I think at that point, there, were, there was one song of mine that Jill particularly liked, and I don't think John was never ever sold on particularly, but... One by one, as the Whispering Jack thing got going, my songs were getting whittled away, you know, and I'm going, oh, 
crap, you know. But there were two, I think, one of which was Reasons, but the, the other one, which was called Never Been So Empty, was um, I thought, oh, I wonder what they're doing with that. So I went out to John's place. Once again, we were in the garage and John said, oh, listen to this, and they played You're the Voice. And I went, first single, no doubt, that's the song that's going to do it. And it was, you know, a, a magnificent song it is still. So um, Empty went by the by, and that's fine. And I I was sort of, because I wasn't really in the inner sanctum by that point, I was going, oh, I don't know if Reasons is going to make it. You know, it's looking pretty dodgy. And um, I used to live in South Melbourne near where they did um, Whispering Jack at AAB. And I used to pop into the studio. I went in one day and John, he said, oh, look, we've done a vocal on Reasons. You want to have a listen? I said, oh, yeah, great. And so he'd done this vocal and I think it started off some people are wankers and he'd, he'd, done, he'd, done, he'd done a complete bastardization of the song. And, you know, that, that was sort of, um, it was a memory of how much fun we had, you know, when we were having fun doing stuff. It was great. Yeah. How old were you when you actually wrote Reasons, uh, Sam? And how long did it take you to write the song? Uh, all my songs, you know, I, I read with great envy these people. Oh, it came to me in five minutes. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my songs never do that. And, and certainly if songs did, they wouldn't be songs anyone would ever hear, you know. Yeah. But um, it didn't actually take that long. I had the, the groove around for a while because sometimes when I'm writing, I'll be noodling around either on the guitar or keyboard, and I'll go, oh, that's a progression. I kind of haven't heard that before necessarily. And if I'm struggling for inspiration or coming to come up with something, and then this is how reasons came about musically, I'll sort of go, well, what would happen if uh, Bo Diddley wrote The Impossible Dream? So that's how I started. And, um, you know, it's got... Which is not too much different from so it's kind of a Bo Diddley groove, and the lyrics don't really reflect the impossible dream. Except I wanted it to say something about where I was at in life at the time, and I was in a good space with my wife, and we were sort of on the verge of starting a family. I wasn't really sure if I was going to be a musician much longer because I was at that point I was doing sessions and starting to write um, jingles, which I have never been terribly comfortable with. Um, I'm not sure I'm as good at it as uh, the, the people who do write great ones are. And I was thinking of going back to uni, but I was very positive about uh, living in the moment. You know, and and try, and that's what the song's about. Hundred percent. Yep. And so, yeah, that's how it happened. But I was sort of in trouble in my mind with it for a long time about the song structure because, as I was reminded by my friend Kevin Bennett, who writes a hit song that takes two and a half minutes to get to the first chorus, and he's right. Yeah. But it just makes sense the way I I 
I knew that, but I just it was too early to bring it in, you know, and no one wants to come too soon. that structure of the song is something that adam and i have actually talked about and and just that um it's one of the things that sets reasons apart and as you said to structure it any other way because who does that um i can't imagine that song being restructured any other way it's it's it makes it unique and it makes it something that you do tune in and listen yeah. to partly because of that structure i mean the lyric Maybe. speaks to people and one of the things i love about it is i can apply that song and it's relevant to me in my space where it's relevant to the next person in their space and yeah. that is one of the core strengths of that song is is how applicable it is to the individual in their own situation um and yeah not look, uh, yeah not every song yep. translates like that but and um, musically as well nige it uh it builds as it goes on oh, like yeah. uh, there are more and more components that are kept uh, in being introduced to the song you know it starts yeah. off quite atmospheric almost yeah uh, gets yeah, through yeah. the first verse into the second verse and then they bring in a new keyboard element uh and then when it gets to the bridge you know it starts to build and build and then it crescendos with the chorus yeah. and has some you know really really powerful um well, they're electronic drums, aren't they, on the album version? But, they are, um, yeah, they are. We yeah. won't talk about that. Oh, we, you have an opinion on that, do you, Sam? We're happy to. We're, no, no, yeah. well, I mean, uh, I think that was part of the um, reason, you know, everyone who wants real drums and um, live keyboards on this album get off at the next stop, and that was me. <laughs> I... I I mean, I look, I do a lot of stuff with MIDI and electronic drums and stuff now. And it's just, it's not my favourite. I think playing with a good band is the way to go. And it's what I love to do. But I, I play, well, I still play the song at every show we do. Obviously not in John's key, because who, who could do that? Um, but a lot of people have said stuff to me like that, Nigel, about, you know, it's the song has a meaning for them in their circumstance. And it, it's really, well, it's humbling, you know, to think that you sort of have this uh, expression that people relate to. I love it, you know, obviously. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. It's really yeah. humbling. Thank you. Thank you. No Thank problem. You very much. I'm glad you got it. And um, I, I'm obviously I'm really glad he recorded it because I, I it enabled me to be a musician, you know, remain a musician. Yeah. It's by by far and away the most successful record I've ever had, and um, and you don't you don't think some people or wankers would have been better? Uh, would um, love to hear the version. Maybe Weird Al Yankovic should do that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but uh... right. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, no, look, thank you, guys. That's that's really lovely. I want to go back to you mentioned um, the other song that they were considering for Whispering Jack. Um, yeah, empty. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, have you recorded that, or is that is there? No, a... no. I think okay. it's easy to. It's not ego. It's just I figured if he didn't want to do it, it probably wasn't very good. So I just okay. moved on. And oh. I think, you know, I mean, look, if he hadn't done reasons, I'd probably think the same thing because I've yeah. got other songs that I think maybe they're, maybe they're not as you say look at enough people including you two thank you for that have said that it's a universal theme and it means something and i'm not sure i've got any other things that i write that have that thing you know a universal 
scene. But um, I th- certainly I thought I had other good songs, but they didn't, yeah, it just didn't happen. There wasn't there. No. Well, okay. I'll, I'm yep. going to ask then. Um, so, either for reasons or empty, did you do any uh, demo recording that you submitted? Oh, I would have. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, actually, John did a demo. I've never been so empty. And we were playing it in 1.5 live. Oh, that's interesting. I, I can't I recall I there being any footage of it, uh, Nige. I don't know if they ever, if it was ever recorded, like no, the TV or anything. Yeah. The set list that I've got is pre-Whispering Jack there, and um, it looks, it is the uncovered um, set. And whilst there are, like we said, a lot of, uh, several covers in there, Hold the Line, um, Ride Like the Wind, Perfect Imperfection. Um, yeah. Dress to Kill, Blame It on the Weather, Hollywood yeah. Nights. Um, but, but okay, that was before me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, that does refresh me that the you know the repertoire that they were doing was pretty yeah. MOR. Honestly, I think was... there's suddenly all this interest in this, but yeah. in this one song that uh, that you obviously submitted to John because uh, no one's. I don't think that there's ever been any discussion well, about this other other song, has there, Nigel? No, and we've yeah. we've always been interested. You know, they were listening to all these songs, and that's well well known, and it's been discussed in many an interview before. But it's sort of like, wow, um, we've heard that he turned down We Built the City on Rock and Roll. He did, yeah. And also uh, From a Distance. Oh, did he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he turned down From a Distance. It would be fascinating to have even been able to hear his interpretation of both of those songs. Um, Indeed. But the, I don't. I can't imagine John doing a God song. No, no, no. Something that's so. I can't. I can actually envision it. John singing "We Built This City." Like, is in it's just. It's not a. It's not a song for him. <laughs> like, it's, it's maybe not. not but I, once again, you know, like if you're a, a producer or a, um, an MD and you get a song like that, you, you're going. This is pretty hit song. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's yeah. Song. Indeed. I can. I can Indeed. actually see how it, it it does actually lend towards. Uh, the capacity that he had at that time, uh, you know, yeah. from Uncovered. If you look at what Uncovered is structurally as an album, and then you see where LRB took him, and LRB took him into some really weird territory. Um, there's a song they do, Cathedrals Are White. Just yeah, 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 yeah. No one should be forced to get to the ranges he has to uh, in Indeed. that song. But what it does is it, it actually demonstrates his upper ranges and everything else. And when you see totally. We Built This City, it's sort of like the happy medium coming down a bit so he could, you know, uh, achieve it. It would have been interesting to hear had he have recorded any demos of that to actually yeah, hear that yeah. because I can see how it actually lends to what he was certainly capable of um, quite comfortably, actually, when you then look at what he achieved with You're the Voice and where LRB took him. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I actually um, I actually met John in 2002 for the first time as well, Sam, and I, believe it or not, I actually spoke to him about your song. 
I oh. said to him that I'm so glad that it's been a staple in his live sets essentially since he recorded it. Yeah. Uh, and he said to me that night, he actually goes, oh, I'd love reasons. I'll never not sing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, you know, there's the word from the man himself. And obviously it speaks for itself as well. You know, the fact that it's always been included. But um, when I got the opportunity to speak to him, what did I want to talk about? It was your song. <laughs> so oh, That's lovely. Man. God, that is such a great compliment. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Um, Sam, so when you're writing, do you write uh, draft copies and stuff? And oh, the lyrics and stuff. De- developing it into a song, yeah. I've got, I've got uh, some people or wankers up here. Some... No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, okay. And generally, uh, what, what I would say is that with lyrics, I, I might have somewhere a cassette, which I have. I don't no longer have a cassette player. But I might have a cassette player with another lyric or two yep. um, on it, but probably not. No, probably. I don't. Not. I just. I sort of think once it's done, it's done, and you know because you you never finish. It's so hard to let it go, you know, because I think it's sort of not etched in stone until it's released, and even then, you sort of find people changing the words ten years later. So. To me, you know, once a song's done, it's done, and um, I sort of wouldn't keep the other bits. I don't, I don't think there'd be any value in it. Sam, what were the, the chain of events that led to reasons being submitted for Whispering Jack? I think you touched upon it just before. But... Uh, I don't really remember specifically. Yep. We didn't do it live, um, and we'd sort of done the, the sort of warm-up tour for him, for him sort of to prepare for Whispering Jack. So I, th- I think probably I would have had a demo I recorded and the bass that was on a crappy um, sequencer I had at the time. And I'd Did you like the one that turned what the song turned into? Did you like John's, you know, the really enthusiastic uh, electronic bass <laughs> that they added to the song? Uh, it's not what I would have chosen. I, okay. I do like I do like the electronic bass. I, I thought it was a bit fun, as the New Zealanders would say, you know. Oh, and, yes. But I, I would have preferred it to be a bit tougher than it was. Um, you know, no, all respect to David, he's a magnificent musician, but I think we're, you know, we're, with our equipment, like electronic stuff, you kind of are in love with what's the latest thing you have in your arsenal at the time. And David had DX7s. He had, he had a fair lot, but he had DX7s, and that's what did the bass line. Because of the nature of the beast, I think they cancel frequencies out. And so it sounds a bit thin to me. So, Sam, what were your thoughts at the time of learning that Reasons would actually make the final cut of the album? Uh, I look, I wasn't necessarily sure it would... I mean, I couldn't have predicted that it would go on to be so successful. Um, I was thrilled that he'd finally recorded one of my songs. And, and if that had been all I ever did in music... Uh, it's not a bad thing, you know. It's not obviously uh, you get into this to be successful, and that would have been a success. And um, one of my aunts said to me, you know, this was after the album and hit number one, and I went up to Sydney for Christmas, and she said, "Well, you better write another one." I'm going, "Well, hang on, 
I've I've written a hundred other ones and you don't it's like song lotto I said and I think I was so lucky to get on that album with that artist you know it's, um, I, I'm not saying I don't think it's a good song but it's it is it's really hard to um, you know I've got other singers that I like that I've submitted songs to and um, they haven't done them yet so. It is hard. Yep. So, look, I was thrilled. But, I mean, I, I, by, I can't really remember what month it was, but by sort of four or five months in, I was blown away. And interestingly, I didn't have a publishing deal at the time. So I had a, a company collecting for me. But it was great, you know, I, and I, I sort of, have never needed a publisher. I, I'd love to have a publisher that sort of watch this bit of rubbish you've got and send it off to their connections to get the songs heard at least, you know, because you know, I don't think all of my friends who write songs, um, you, say, you send them out there and no, obviously no one hears them or you don't get any yeah. feedback. Though I know, like with Whispering Jack, I heard they listen to a thousand songs. I don't know if that's true, but it's it's quite a number of songs. And you know, I I was there a couple of times where you'd sort of get dunk dunk do do nah, you know that's that's all the listening you to get. And um, to be fair, a lot of song demos you, that's all you need to hear to know that it's not for you. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yes, it's a very competitive thing. So. Um, obviously, I was just wrapped to get a, a song covered. This might be a good time to bring this up, actually. So, in 2011, John did the uh, Whispering Jack 25 Years On tour. Uh, were you yeah. were you asked to be part of that at all, Sam? Or no? no. Okay. So he told some stories uh, before the songs, and the the one for reasons was interesting about the fact that there was talk that you weren't actually in favour of John doing your song. And no, yeah, no, I, I yeah. will look. It, that might have been an impression. That yeah. certainly wasn't true. I mean, God, I, as I just said, I mean, I was thrilled to get a song covered by him or by anyone. And, um, you know, especially since it was so successful, that sort of doubled or trebled the, the thrill. But he, I think there was, you know, I, it wasn't an easy relationship at the end i mean I, I didn't think it was so much john you know we're, we're we're not as close as we were um but there was no particular enmity i i remember going to a christmas party at his place you know and i said look you know it's i know i can be a difficult cat and um i'm quite strong in my opinions but um i treasured the time that we worked together and my only disappointment really is that I wasn't along for the ride when you actually finally had some success. Yeah. But, you know, there's certainly no hard feelings or anything about it. Yeah. So I don't I don't know where that story came from. Yeah. He elaborated by saying that um that that you weren't that you were holding onto the song quite protectively. And I then he convinced you over a number of bottles of red wine is how he t how he told the story. 
Oh, no, that, well, that's not true. He's, he's made it up. He has made it up. Yeah. No, the, the of the red wine might be true. Oh, uh, naturally, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. I think, as I said before, you send these songs out. Well, I send them out. I don't just throw them out and say you can you can butcher my song. Go for your life, yeah. Um, <laughs> and he sort of taught me a bit of a lesson as far as that goes because really once you do send a song out, you lose ownership of it. And if somebody does want to sing it in Latvian or, you know, put, you know, some people are wankers, they can do it, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, so... I, I was very protective, and I like you know. I mean, they're my babies, my songs too. You know, I've got my kids, but I've also got my babies, and um, I I do want them to be presented as you write them. Yeah. You know? What are the key things about John's recording then? That um, can you remember like the first time you heard it, and like you know what your initial impressions were? Uh, well, I think uh, the the drums were programmed, and they did a good job with the programming. Um, yeah. I think you know. Later on, um, I'm not. I can't even. I haven't listened to the record. I should have listened to it before we came on today. But there's the harp um, arpeggio. I'm going. No, no, we don't harp. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's only my opinion. So, I, and I've let that go long ago. And I is there harp arpeggios on the record? Do you remember? Not that um, I don't know. I would I would have to listen. Knowing that now, I would have to specifically listen. It's in the bit, you know, where I've climbed more than a mountain, uh, which is right. Oh, I, call, like... I call that the B verse. Yeah. The first right. time, the first time the B verse happens, there is no vocal. Yeah. You'll think I'm an egotist because I have it on iTunes. No, no. Oh. <laughs> if if I had a song, if it did what the reasons does, I'd have it on iTunes as well, mate. Oh, it's the piano. Yeah. Okay, so it's on a piano on the records. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's Nicky Nichols and Penny Dyer singing the ooze. Yeah. But but he's doing these um, piano arpeggios. And I, I just, you know, well, that's the way he heard it, David, and, and fair enough. They liked it. And I love it now. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, the piano stayed pretty much there the whole time, hasn't it, Nige? Like, Chong did it as well in yeah, all, yeah. His, all his arrangements. I think he does, but where, when I went to see, because I've always, I mean, John has always sort of sent me tickets for their live shows in Melbourne, and I, I've gone to most of them, and usually if he knows I'm there, he'll deliberately stuff up the words. Um because he's got he's got a bit of a rep for doing that anyway. He sure has. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, he's yeah. a legend. Well, now he's got a, a a teleprompter and good on him. But if if he knew I was there, he'd stuff it up deliberately just to give me a yeah. But anyway, so went the first time I went to see them, that that arpeggio thing was on a harp sound. And I I didn't like that. But that, other than that, look, it's just nitpicking about stuff. It's yeah. about taste, mm. you know. I like I, I'm rapt that he done, he did it in every show he's done since. I mean, wow, that's an incredible compliment. Has the significance of the song grown for you over the years? And what does the song mean to you? 
I, I think I think it's sort of pretty much as the lyrics are. It's kind of what it means to me. And um, I would say I've been very lucky. You know, I've been in some great bands. I've had um, some incredible experiences as a touring musician in America and Canada and Australia. Not so much in England. England was the worst. I often say 1972 was the worst decade of my life. It was a <laughs> shocking year in London. Yeah. But, um, no, I've been very fortunate. But, you know, I, th I suppose we're, we always want more out of life, you know, and I'd like, sort of uh, have had different times where, as I would call it now, I've probably been depressed and sort of wondering about, you know, I've wasted this, you know, my youth on this stupid business and looking to the future, you know, trying to sort of um, dream about what might happen. And, um, yeah, so I, I sort of was diagnosed with a bit of depression uh, after the song, actually, interestingly, that I'd had depression. It wasn't manic depression. It was, I was, I, I was certainly... Uh, had the blues about life and I, I guess I'd sort of got to the point where I'd been touring with um, a well-known singer and I was sort of doing most of the actual work about the, the music direction. I sort of did all the solos. I did most of the, the heavy lifting and I was being paid peanuts, and I thought, this, you know, just isn't right. And so I, I sort of just gave it a miss, and I went into the studios and started writing jingles, started doing sessions for other people. And even so, I was thinking, oh, I've had it, you know, I don't, it's a stupid business. Um, and I was going to go back to school and get a law degree, which I don't know if that would have made me happy either. But it just, you know, I was just feeling positive that I had the wherewithal within me to do something else if I wanted to do it and just live for now, you know, with, with my wife. And so, that I mean, that's where it came from, that, the song. Yeah, Great. I'm very happy, you know, look, I, I was thrilled when you guys said it has some meaning for you and people do come up and say that to me sometimes and I just go, well, you know, it's a great honour to have something that you thought of that people relate to. That's that's the whole thing about writing songs is that you want to try and connect. And a lot of songs that I write, I think they're bloody good songs, but that not, aren't necessarily personal. They're just sort of, you sort of see this side of life. And I explained once in a songwriting seminar that to, to write a positive song, the language has such a limited amount of words that are positive without sounding moon, June, spoon. Whereas if you go to the dark side of the, the spectrum, pe people are much more articulate about writing about darkness and bitterness. And I think it's because mostly when you when people are dark and bitter, they are they have solitude and so they have the time to sort of 
delve is a word that ha I have history with Jewel Farnham with, but delve into that part of their mind where you are probably more articulate, you know, and, and mm. so it's it's great that I, I, I have got a couple of songs where I'm positive, I think. That's obviously reasons as one. And, um, I mean, I, I don't think there's any Moon June croon in it. But I, th I think it's they're very simple words, just a few ideas connect connected together. Did that answer the question? I'm rambling a bit. Sorry. No. <laughs> very good. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um. The, the other, we didn't get a music video for reasons as well. Maybe it was a little too late down the line. Uh, they didn't have the production crews anymore or something. Uh, oh, I think um, that, at that point, I don't think it would have been worthwhile. You know. Can you envision what that might have been? No, no not, like, not without prior notice. I, I have. I'll write, I, I'll write you a script and see. Yeah, it. yeah. No, I, I have many, many times uh, based on the story in the song. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon there could be a good one <laughs> Damn, as well. Why weren't you around then? Oh, you were sick. I, I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought to go and ask a five-year-old what they thought and can exactly. they help, yeah, out, right. help out in that area? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Sam, what do you think it is about Reasons that makes it such an enduring piece for the live audiences? Uh, well, I guess, you know, what we've been talking about is that it's um, it's a song that does speak about a positive outlook, you know, and um, we all need that, you know, at the moment, I think. That's the, the reason why... The reason reason why people still like it is that we all need that sort of uplifting... Sort of sentiment, you know, because it's the world's getting tougher. I, I'm very fearful, not for me, I'll be gone, but for my children. What world are they inheriting? Hmm. I, I remember in the 70s, people saying, Oh, we're not having kids. Who bring kids into a world like this? You know, but I mean, now, who would? You know, it's, it's going to be tough out there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I. I would say that um, the success of reasons afforded me a second child, you know, because I don't. Oh, yes. Of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the last question, just in regards to reasons, um, is just, you know, you said earlier, Sam, that uh, John has occasionally sent you tickets to go to any some of his live shows and stuff. How many times did you accept that invitation, firstly? Oh, no, I've, I've been to many. Yep. Uh, yep. Um, I, do, I haven't been to all of them. But um, no, I, I, hey, it's a friend night out. It's always and a good I time. Go, and I, I, I have to admit, I, I get a thrill when they play my tune. You know, I, I go, bet. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, having seen that uh, a couple of times as well and seen your own song performed, um, did you, uh, John, John, and I suppose Chong Lim in particular, uh, as his as his sort of current musical director as well, um, they did quite a lot of changes to the song as the years went on as well. Uh, there, there was there was a particular era where they they brought a lot, uh, you know, the brass came in and played the main melody of the song quite yep. you know quite overpowering. It was actually brought right up as well. Yeah. Um, and did you ever have any opinions about any of the live arrangements or anything like that or? No, just that they were different. Some, sometimes I liked it more than others, and I think um, I, I liked the brass time. I thought that was a good yeah. era for the just yep. for the sound of the band. You know, I mean, it's a luxury not many of us can afford to have a, a horn section. Um, True, and it's uh, I love I love horn sections, so that's good. Um, yeah. But no, I, don't, I do. You know, sometimes I I sort of liked a, an era. 
um, when they sort of stop relying so heavily on the, the program base. Mm. Um, Probably Chong's doing. I'm not, I think it was Joe Creighton, maybe. No, but I think it was the, being the musical director, Chong uh, would have had a big influence on how the, the, the tracks, the, all the arrangements were put together. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm hearing Joe talking at the rehearsal. But oh, cool. Right. Yeah. I know, you know Joe's a very organic guy as well. So I think he, I mean, look, I'm not sure, maybe. He would have said to Chong, I reckon we should do this. And Chong would have said, yeah, let's give it a go. Yeah. I, I, liked the, I liked the groove they had in that. And, you know, Craig's great as well. Uh, Craig Newman. Who, Craig Newman, yep. Um, he's a fabulous player. So I, I think if you've got the musicianship that uh, machines can be kind of uh, put to one side or at least play a supplementary role rather than being the whole basis, yeah, you know, cause I, I, when we play um, reasons with Angus, he's got such a great pocket that um, a machine can't do that. You know, I mean, he is a machine in one sense, but he's also got this human pocket that makes it sort of more groovy. Yeah, nice. Play, yes. play the song. I think um, you know, as can be said for many of the tracks on Whispering Jack, um, the needing to take it from such a programmed um product that it is on the album and actually make it um suitable for live performance and having to really um deconstruct it and then reconstruct it using instrumentation versus a program machine and i know that i know that it's still underlined with programmed components and stuff but but exactly that exactly that the where can musicians actually play a role versus everything being uh, Uh, arranged through a program Um, yeah so i I, the the song i think that um really benefits from the machine most is pressure down i think you know it's got it's got that 80s programming Mm. thing down and it's sort of grooves at that yes uh, you know, but the, a lot of the other songs, I've heard them play live, and it's mm. much better for my taste. You know, at, yeah, at using a band rather than yeah, yeah, know, yeah, absolutely. Sam, you obviously do own a copy of Whispering Jack. Am I correct? <laughs> uh, well, I have it on my iTunes, and I have an autographed copy of that box that you have behind you. Amazing. Um, yep, it's framed, and um, yep. he. Uh, it says, I don't know if you'd mind me saying, he says, Sam, see, it worked. Pun intended. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I, lo- I love singing. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, very good. So I think we're on the um, we're on the home stretch now, Sam. Yeah. So no um, we, d- we just want to bring up, uh, like, you know, whether or not you have any current projects or gigs that you'd like to tell our listeners about. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I, I have a few little acts. One is called The Pardoners with my long-time collaborator, Glenn Mason, one of Austra- another of Australia's great voices. And um, we still do gigs as a duo. And uh, a friend of ours is Lindsay Field, who um, we've, we have an act called Field, C and Mason. We've, we play in Melbourne. We've heard of that guy before somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. he's seen some involvement <laughs> in the Barnum story. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, um, Lindsay came into our lives when Glenn and I were working with Brian Catt 
and um, we've been mates. We, I, I recall the first tour we did with him with Brian Cadd. We were playing in Queensland, and after the gig, I had an acoustic as I was doing the road, and we were just playing a few old songs. And the three of us started singing together, and we just went, wow, that's got a thing. You know, so, and it still has a thing. So we're still doing shows with that. And um, yeah, so we're, we're sort of batting away, and one of us will fall over one day and we'll stop. But we're, we're still having great fun doing it. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. Awesome. Wonderful. That's great. Boom. Well, um, that's pretty much it, Sam. Like you've, you've, yeah, like it's been absolutely fantastic to have this opportunity to speak to you about what is a very, very important song to so many of us. And it's been really great to be able to inform you as well about, about just how like, you know, well loved this is. Uh, yeah. but I just wanted to personally thank you, Sam, just for coming and joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And are you, are yeah. you putting all of John's responses in to rebut what I've said? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But um, but yeah, Sam, thank you. Yeah, good on you. No, no worries. You're welcome. And uh, in the meantime, come and watch Phil C. Mason play because you'll hear. I can. Out. Yeah. 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 But Nigel have to come across to Melbourne, and we'll have to come together. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I've tried really? a couple of times, and um, I certainly uh, intend to get myself there in order to come and see you play. Um, oh, no worries, reasons we've talked to, to a few guests now and we're very grateful for that and um, when we ask those people what's one of the songs that they enjoy reasons often comes up as um, the song of choice from the musicians and from the performers um, so um, yes as the fans but I think it says something about the, the quality of of what you've provided and what you've contributed to Whispering Jack and the success of Whispering Jack, um, the fact that the people that are actually involved in it, and they're the ones that have played it thousands of times. And I, <laughs> Poor I, buggers. Poor buggers. <laughs> I, I can appreciate the best of the best even could be grow tired of just auto-repeat, you know. Um, so for them to be able to still identify reasons as being one of their favourites that they enjoy performing... Um, it says something that we we entirely support as far as the quality of that. So, absolutely, That's thank, great. You there. thank you. Cool. Yeah, fantastic. Cool. Good on you, gentlemen. Thank you. See you at one of the gigs. Uh, you you <laughs> will. Sure, you mate. will. Absolutely, sure. you will. All right. Take care. Take care. Good on you. Thanks, mate. Bye bye. Bye bye. So there we have it. Um, that was our interview with uh, Sam. And again, as you know, uh, it it was exciting to be able to talk to him, and. Just so grateful because, as we said at the top of this episode, um, Sam was our first port of call. He agreed, and it really did kickstart um, what's become this podcast. Oh, it was it was such a highlight, Nigel. Uh, it's not every day that you get to speak to the writer of one of your favourite songs. You know, mm, <laughs> like it yeah. was such a it was such an honour, and it was it happened so early in the process of doing this show. That it really left it's left a lasting impression on us without a doubt it was just fantastic so it was um ever grateful to sam uh, for his contribution and the discussion that we had but for us we know that it was really uh the first thing to kick off uh, and make this podcast a reality so yeah uh, thanks again sam we certainly aren't the only ones who have such great things to say about this song so now we're going to hear from angus birchall brett garsed chong lim David Hirschfelder, Lindsay Field, Nikki Nichols, and Vanetta Fields. Yes, it's one of those great songs where 
yeah, and Sam, I reckon it's his, like, his version of I did it my way or something. Um, and it, yeah, versus a smooth telling a story and keeping out of the way and then bang, comes the chorus and you you get to put your foot down a bit. <laughs> but it's a, it's a beautiful song to play. It's lovely, yeah. When we did the very first tour, which was before Whispering Jack, I know we played Touch of Paradise. We played that. Um, I'm not sure if we played Reasons. I don't think we did. Probably wasn't finished. But, um, no, uh, no. Sam had had it for a while, okay. he, he, and he knew it was a great song. Like, I mean, yeah. he, I mean, of course, he knew it was a great song. He's a great songwriter, so you know when you got a good one. So, but uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, it's just a killer tune. I just loved it. Like, I it was another one of those ones where I was just trying to find a space in there because it was already beautifully covered by Hershey. He'd just done all this amazing stuff in there. And look, to be honest, even some of the stuff Stuart played, I I remember hearing it and going, well, it's beautiful because he's a beautiful guitar player. But at the same time, they were just conventional guitar parts. And I was, I was trying to find something else. I was trying to find another texture to put in there rather than just a traditional guitar part. But uh, I think I just did some heavy stuff in the, in the choruses and that was about it. Yeah. So. As far as I can tell, we played it at every performance ever. So yeah. unless it's yeah. been a specific thing where they just want you're the voice and that's it. But yeah. if it's a if it's a live set, reasons is gonna be in there. No complaints at this end, right, Nige? None whatsoever. It's a killer. Oh, it, yeah. 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 It's a yeah. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant track. Under underrated. Uh, you know, when you see that it was released as the fourth single, um, that it didn't succeed anywhere near what it should have done. Um, yeah, 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 it's such an under-appreciated and under-recognised track of the it's album. It's a brilliant lyric. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's Sam for yeah. you. Well, reasons, I kept it, like, it's all about the piano introduction, and I made sure that the sound was right. It, it that's It's not a straight-ahead piano, it's, it's a layered piano with different sounds in it, and I made sure I made the recreation accurately and play it live and... and um, but then, uh, then in the outro choruses, I added like all that stuff. You know, if you listen carefully, you, you hear all that. But otherwise, I was pretty true to it. And it's all guitars and uh, the guitar sounds, are, you know, Brett Gassett, he played on a record, so he doesn't perfectly. Um, yeah, so that's a great song. I, I love doing that. That's, that's why we open with it a lot. And, and Sam used to be his musical director. Yeah. Yes. In, in the early days, pre LRB days. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. They, they were best friends, I think. Yeah. And, and, and in the days when Sam C was very handsome. Well, that was quite some time ago then. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. Oh yeah, what a what a song! Oh, as yes. soon as we heard that, yeah, as soon as we heard that, we just thought, right, well, that's going on the album. That's that's a killer. What a great song! Give me a reason, I'll come running. It said everything about how John and we, and, and myself too, and I think Ross too, we were all kind of at guys in a boat, to get in, in a little leaky boat, trying to sort of uh, make our mark with by doing something together. Um, and I think this song was sort of typified the spirit of Whispering Jack, you know. When I have reasons, I know the way. And it's sort of the idea of um, when you've got enough, you know, material that you feel good about in, in, in your life, you know what you're doing. So when you've got reason, you know, when you've got, I guess, motivation, 
motivation is key. And I think that song really spoke to us, all of us, on a deep level without even knowing it at the time. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah, that's it was, yeah, yeah. it was just a great song. And, and all those, um, I mean, yes, I, I, I came up with a lot of the, the sonic textures and everything. But, you know, like it was Sam, Sam C really, really, it's, it's his entire brain child. He, yeah. he, and, and, of course, John's fantastic. It was almost like perfect for John. It's like one of those songs that was, it was almost like it was written for him. You know, it's, it's always a joy to play that live and to uh, see the audience. It, it just sort of almost has a calming meditative quality about it too um, in a lot of the sections. You know, like particularly the verses uh, are quite like full of positive affirmations and it's sort of almost like new age without being new age. Um, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's a lovely thought. And then it comes in with this really strong rock chorus with those power chords from Brett um, against all the other backdrop of all the celebratory sparkly keyboards. I, I just think it was a lovely, again, it just fell together by accident beautifully. Happy accidents, that's what, that's what we yeah. love. Oh, I love that song. I mean, I mean, I you know, I sing it every week mm. with Sam and Glyn, and yeah. of course, we do it just a different arrangement because, as Sam says, he sings it's the way that it was written. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and mind you, he's very glad that John did it because then he could buy Richmond. Um, but <laughs> it was great to be able to you know we worked hard on those parts to get that working to making that sound right, and then with again with. When Wayne arrived and we could do it with the three parts, it just brought an extra dimension and a greater depth to it than the, the recorded version. I mean, yeah. I think, in my humble opinion, the live performances were much, much better than the recording. But that's always the, the way that things happen because you things when you're recording an album like that, it doesn't get a chance to evolve. You're working on the tracks in the studios and bang, bang, they're down. Within six months of touring, they've transformed. Mm -hmm. They become organic entities, like things that live and breathe where they have a lot more dimension, a lot more dynamic variation, and there's a lot more parts in them. There's more moving parts or parts that are allowed to move just mm -hmm. simply because of evolution, not because anybody's designed it that way. Yep. Yeah, just I agree with you 100%, Lindsay. I think that the, the live versions, and it's evolved a lot over the years as well. I mean, it started off very, very 80s on the album version as well. Uh, the 80s sounds sort of got lost as the as the years went on. It was sort of modernised, and Chong also brought in a lot more brass in that as well at, at certain during certain tours as well. almost elevated it like you know in in the live space would you agree with that night uh, certainly yeah as a an audience member um yeah yeah and if you look at for instance the placement of where reason sits in any tour um it is a key song now 
um, as much as it was the as we learnt, it was the opening song for the Jack's Back tour. And to that, if you look at the Last Time tour, it was such a builder coming back from the interval there. I would say that that performance of Reasons, it really got the crowd on an absolute high yeah. coming back no, into that second, you know, an absolute powerhouse of a song. As soon as that bass riff started, that yeah, that was it. Yep, yeah, that was it. It was yeah. like just a you know, okay, we have ignition. Yeah, for us, the particularly the the you know the fans that have been to so many concerts, you know, within one point five seconds exactly what this song is, and you're there for for the full performance of it. Yeah, and, and it, it, it's another one of those songs where we built the vocal parts to be mm. stronger. And, you know, and John really embraced that as well. Yep. I mean, he was, always, he was always paid very close attention to, to what we did. Do you yes, I love it. Yeah. I recall it's very high. My parts were extremely high. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's um, a bunch of ooze. You had a bunch of ooze in parts of the song and then yes, obviously you me. sung the chorus. Yeah. Way up here. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I actually, when I do my bridesmaid show, I actually throw in um, in the second half. I do a few songs from people that I've worked with. So I, I do the Farnham song. I do is reasons. Amazing. Right? Yeah. What a choice. What a great choice. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. That's not give me a reason, is it? That's the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Give me a reason, and I'll come running. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. I love the song, yeah. It was unusual, but I really like that song, yes. Yeah, it's a, one of the favourites here at the He's the Voice podcast, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the uh, piano solo of David Herfelder song, that brought that brought us some more attention, that uh, solo. Mm-hmm. And the arrangement itself was, I think, really more than the song, the arrangement. Yeah. Helped the song a lot, yes. Okay, Adam, one of the things we want to talk about is reasons in the live space. Oh, of and course we do. Before we do that, I just want to throw to a bit that we uh, had as part of our discussion with Roger McLaughlin. So we featured him on the uh, You're the Voice episode, but here's something that he contributed in his discussion. I loved it. It was great. It's so, um, And it's relevant to reasons. So let's hear from Roger. Luckily, I got to tour with John very briefly in the Jack's Back tour. Um, uh, Wayne Nelson couldn't do the first half of the tour, so they asked me to do it. I do remember, and John can get a bit towy before a gig, you know. We know, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, I remember we're doing, uh, the opening song was... uh, uh, give me a reason. You're right. Mm. Yeah. I remember that. We're all dressed in white suits, you know. Anyway, so uh, that song would start and I would, everyone would have their back to the audience and there was a, a see-through curtain and, and the song would start. 
and I'm standing there playing at the back of the audience and John's right there in front of me and he's got to walk past me. As the curtain drops, he walks past me up to the mic and sing the opening line, which is uh, some people are dreamers. Yep, correct. Yep. yep. Right. Correct. So we're sitting there playing, you know, da, 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 intro. And John's looking at me like he's about four feet away from me and he looks at me with sheer horror on his face and he says, What's the first line to the song? <laughs> <laughs> and, and just as he's got to run out and grab the mic, I said, some people are dreamers. Some people. And, of course, he just hits the stage. You know, yeah, it was yeah. like on cue, fabulous, you know, some people. And once he got the first line, he was right. But That is so good. He's sitting there pacing, <laughs> toey, you know, chewing gum, gum. Hey, mate, mate. <laughs> yeah. I remember when he told me about that night, I, I was just like, you know, like, because you can just imagine John having that brain freeze. Like, absolutely. You know, the and first line to the song, because if you can't remember the first line, you're absolutely screwed. <laughs> I just, Roger is such a good storyteller. I just love the way that he tells that story. It's oh, great. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but yeah. um, moving on from that. When we talk about the live experiences, certainly as an audience member, I remember so many times this was just the one song that I absolutely looked forward to hearing in the set. Oh, um, it speaks for itself. But um, favourite performances of it? Have All you right. got one? Oh, look, one is the key thing. Uh, there, no, there isn't. There isn't one. All right, there's a lot. Okay, mm. um, but if if you said to me, like, you know, what's the one that gives gives you the most feeling and power? Right. I think reasons in the Chain Reaction show, the power of it in that particular arrangement, which is obviously the last tour that David Hirschfelder did with John as well. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Like that one just, you know, stands in my mind. Like as in, it's been performed, you know, um, a lot as we've as we've alluded to as well. Um, in fact, only twice in John's tours and body of work, Nige, was it omitted. Uh, yep. That was from the main event, similar to Pressure Down and, you know, being the three artists that obviously didn't have a place there. And also in John's solo set, that he did with Tom Jones as well. Oh, yeah. So, yep. th but that's it, Nigel. Otherwise, it's performed at pretty much every major tour that John's ever, you know, done since 1987. Yeah. So, and what about yourself? Um, well, I found it really hard to bring it down to one. And I agree with you that um, the chain reaction performance, I love it. Again, yeah. I think for the same reasons that I was talking about my favorite performance of You're the Voices from the Chain Reaction concert. Maybe it's the quality of the band and how they performed. That is a dynamite performance of that song. But equally, God, I love the performance he did as part of his 50th birthday celebration. I knew you were going to bring this one up because you've we've had a few discussions about this version. That was really pumped. You know, it, it opened the show. It was really pumped. And it was just, God, it was just talk about kicking a goal as soon as you walk out on stage. That's what. Very that high energy was. version. Yeah. 
fantastic. But how yeah. could you not um, give some recognition to the version of the last time tour? That oh, yeah. coming back for the second half and, you know, the band, they actually um, started playing and it's instrumentation um, and an arrangement of the last time that, you know, the, the sonically the, the music as you were sitting in the audience and just being hit by that music um, was just, wow, it was, it was something to really draw you in straight away for it to then change and break into reasons and, you know. Um, yeah, that performance itself. So yeah, I, I just, yeah, there, it was I like can the never, opening of the electric set, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. so I can't say that I've got one favorite performance because there's just too many performances of this song that are just exceptional. And, and yeah. you know, um, so yeah, I can't limit it down to one performance specifically. Mm. Yeah, well, Reasons is a song that that evolved a lot over time as well. Like it sounded, you know, when it was first performed in the Whispering Jack era, Mm. uh, it sounded very much like the album version. And then as time went along, it, you know, evolved. And then when Chong joined the band, the the sound changed. And and then he brought in, um, you know, brass, particularly in the Man of the Hour tour. Like, you know, the brass section got brought in and they really started performing the main melody of the song, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, with the brass rather than just the keyboards as well. So um, it's, yeah, always been a highlight. I have to make special mention of one performance as well, Nigel. We don't have a proper recording of, just an on-the-phone on version. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when it was done for Whispering Jack 25 mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. um, Chong uh, brought it right back to the, you know, the, the basic nature of what it sounded like when it was recorded. quite refreshing to hear it um hear the band do it in 2011 Mm. in as close to the album version as they could it was actually it was that was unique in itself because of how much it had evolved so to hear it go back to be stripped back to what it was uh was was a highlight for me as well it'd be really fascinating to listen to a recording of that set from that 25th anniversary concert um to hear those songs brought back to replicate their original form from the album performed yeah. in that live space. Uh, so, yeah, it would be fascinating if there's a recording of that to listen to it and to be able to hear the contrast of how they are when they're stripped back like that, a reflection of their original interpretation, yeah. to, to then be able to actually really sit there and listen to those and understand how much they've changed if you listen to the later recordings like the last time tour, you know, uh, and just to be able to hear that difference uh, would be absolutely fascinating. John's obviously very, very fond of this song um, and, you know, holds it in extremely high regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so do a lot of his band members as well. So, you know, um, I mean, we're heard. never, ever going to complain, are we? <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, we've, heard, we've heard some of them talk just about how, how much they actually really enjoy the song. Something we haven't done, Nige, since we looked at the uh, the song Pressure Down was actually look at some of the lyrics to some of, um, you know, John's songs as well. Now, the lyrics in, in this particular song are very, very rich, very inspirational. This song speaks to my soul in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and what we did with the Pressure Down episode, if you remember, Nige, was uh, we sort of picked out a, like a part of the lyrics that sort yep. of spoke to us personally. So 
why don't we start with your good self? Is there a particular part of the song that, like, you know, um, means oh, yeah. something to you? Yeah, of course. And I, I think the chorus of I'll climb more than a mountain, swim more than an ocean. Um, Build up an island. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what this song sums up for me and what those lyrics really emphasise is just that willingness to succeed and the drive to overcome. Right. Um, they're the core lyrics that really just jump out to me about that. The part that jumps out to me, Nige, is very, very early in the song. It is actually the first verse, right? Yep. Um, these lyrics are just, they, as I said, they just they just absolutely tap into my soul. Like, you know, um, the, the, the lyrics are, some people are dreamers, they live for the future, as if it would work out just as they dreamed it would work out somehow. Mm-hmm. Others get caught in yesterday's papers, too busy reading to get on with living, but I live for now, right? Yep. That is just something that I would want to express to the world about how I feel. And there are particular lines in there in which I've got particular people in mind as well about that they might be someone who are too busy reading or they're somebody that are a dreamer or something like that. That is just something that just really, really speaks to me on like a really, really deep level. And just to hear it, uh, you know, and the way that John chooses to sing that as well, it just like you know means so much um yeah it's obviously striking a very personal relevant uh thing for you in in yeah. the scheme of that 100 percent. yeah definitely mm-hmm. so um yeah and no, i just we'll just wrap this up mate with our socials quickly yeah uh, so we we've got our facebook group and we're also on x and instagram and youtube and yeah some apple podcast reviews never go astray as well guys uh We've uh, we've had some very very generous uh, five star reviews of late, and uh, you know we thank you all very much for that. It all helps in the algorithms and everything like that. So anything yeah. that we can get, same with Spotify, right, Nige? Like some you know positive reviews on there don't yeah, go. That's astray. right. So um, yeah, greatly appreciated, and um, we hope people are enjoying what it is that we're presenting to them. So we're just going to wrap this up as we usually do here at He's the Voice with a, uh, a live version of Reasons to Close the Show. Now, Nigel, you, you've always been very strong on the fact that rather than using our favourite version of a live performance of Reasons, that we would actually use one from the era which represented when the song came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's integral to what we're doing that we maintain with the Whispering Jack performances. So um, we've got this version of Reasons coming from the 1987 performance of Whispering Jack. And, uh, yeah, even though I didn't get a mention earlier, it is a very strong version of the song. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's a very, great very version. Powerful. You know, hey, I'm happy to put my hand up and say I'm biased. I love this song and any performance of it is uh, thoroughly enjoyable. So thanks for your time, Adam. Appreciate it. I've loved doing this uh, episode on Reasons. It's been great. And look, has, look, I look forward to our next one being Going, Going, Gone. But before, Absolutely, mate. Before Fantastic. we get there, how about we uh, listen to John? This, this great song. Yeah, doing what he does best. See you around. He's the voice, guys. Just as they dreamed it would